Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Today, as we look at Joshua 18 through 21, we'll see how God is absolutely faithful to His Word, His promises, and His people. However, He knows our nature is inclined to be independent, and so He has given us spiritual safeguards to keep us on the right path. one of Cheryl's message titled, The Faithfulness of God. I want to talk to you today about spiritual safeguards. God has given us these spiritual safeguards to help us stay in all the promises that he's given us. And we need these spiritual safeguards. Right now, I think there's this phenomena that's kind of taking place where there are a lot of people trying to be lone Christians. They're trying to do it on their own. And we read in Hebrews where the author tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to actually increase and so much the more as we see the day approaching. We live in treacherous times. We have a spiritual enemy, which is the devil. We have the world and we have our own fleshly desires warring against the promises of God working for us. So we're going to talk about how God desires to keep us in his promises. So I want to talk to you from Joshua 18 verses 11, all the way to Joshua chapter 21. And what we're going to see that God is absolutely faithful to his word, his promise and his people. However, God knows that without his intervention, we are incapable of blessing others or of being blessed or entering into these blessings or keeping these blessings that he's given us. Our natural inclination is a move toward independence. We are naturally inclined to move away from God and away from a dependency in God and to try to be dependent on ourselves or even other people. This is our natural proclivity to be independent. We want to do for God rather than through God and by God. Often after we pray and receive what we've asked for, you know, we say, oh God, please, please, you'll help me through this situation. As soon as we get through that situation, we tend to naturalize or dismiss God's involvement. And we begin to credit other things like, well, you know, I just happened to be there at the right time. I just happened to say the right thing. And we often even say, oh, it was my education. It was my experience or my expertise or my effort that helped this situation or helped me get through. Or we even 
start to analyze like, okay, what did I do right that helped me get through that situation? And we come up often with the methodology for others. Like if you get in this situation, you know, drink eight ounces of water every hour. And we come up with this kind of rule plan instead of saying, it's God. It was God. Seek the Lord. He'll show you. He'll help you to get through. We often think it's us and we forget that it's God's greatness. It's God's fidelity to his word and his promise and his people that got us through. That's how we're in the promises. That's how we made it through that terrific situation. Often when we get through a situation, when we find ourselves in the promises of God and settling in, we begin to neglect God. It's so possible and so probable that once we begin to settle and our life gets easier, we begin to neglect God. We stop going to church. We ease up on our Bible reading. We either, you know, limit the time of our personal devotions, or we start skipping days, or we start substituting maybe a good book instead of our personal devotions, or I'll listen to a Bible study on K-Wave, which is a radio station, a Christian radio station, instead of, instead of the time with the Lord. Or we stop fellowshipping with believers. You know, we start doing other activities or sleeping in on Sunday mornings or, oh, I'm too tired to go to church tonight. We start neglecting. We stop praying. We stop just communicating with God. God, um, often these things begin to look like work or duty because we don't need them, because we're not desperate, because we're already in the promises and we're so comfortable. And we substitute other activities for spiritual disciplines. And what happens? Pretty soon we find ourselves oppressed. We find ourselves losing those promises that we were given, losing sight of it. Or maybe even reacting negatively to the things that God has given us. In other words, we start looking at other people's promises and going, I want their promise. Why did I get this promise? I want their promise. Maybe that's even happened to you at one of the retreats. I'll never forget going to retreat. And my promise was this. If my flesh is destroyed, I know that with my eyes, I will see God. I'm asking everybody else, what promise did you get? And they're like, oh, the goodness of the Lord lasts eternally. And I'm like, wow, what did you get? And somebody else says, my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. And I'm looking at my promise. And I have to say, I'm like, when my flesh is destroyed, I know that with my eyes, I will see God because I know my Redeemer lives. And I like the last part, but the beginning, my flesh being destroyed. I mean, that didn't sound that great of a promise. I wanted to trade it out with somebody else. I'll tell you one more story before I go on. One year, maybe you remember this, we gave a word, a word from, it was our, our theme was be still and know that I'm God. And so we were giving out words and one word might be a no, you know, um, God, and you know, just these different words that we're supposed to meditate on. And I got the word, listen. And what happened is this lady came up to me and she said, Cheryl, I didn't get my word. And I said, oh, 
I didn't get my word either. I'll get us both a word. So I went and I got a word for her and a word for me. It was in a little envelope and you had to get alone with the Lord and you would open up and see what it was. So I opened up my envelope and I got the word, listen. And I was like, listen, you know, I knew other people got like really cool words, you know, like joy and love. And I got, listen. And Brian has this propensity to always say to me, Cheryl, listen, just, just listen, because I want to help him speak. And I want to kind of fill in for him sometimes. And, you know, sometimes it takes men a little longer to get things out. And so we women want to help them along. And here I had the word, listen, I thought, ah, okay, listen. All right, Lord, I'll take this before you. I'm going to pray over it. But I still had this other envelope with this woman's word that I got for her. And I could always swap them out, but I just said, no, no, I'll, I'll save it for her. And I went up to give it to her and she said, oh no, thank you, Cheryl. But I got another word and it was so good. I think her word was like love. It was exactly what I needed. I'm like, great. So now I've got two words. So I thought, you know, maybe that first word I got was just a one off and I'll open this and this will be my real word. And I opened it up and guess what it was? Listen. That was two listens. And all I could think of was in James where it says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. And I decided I wasn't going to tell Brian, but then I broke down and I told him. And you know what he says to me now? He says, listen, listen, because he knows I got it twice. You know, sometimes we just don't want to share spiritual treasuries with our husband. It, it could have the opposite effect. But there are times when we act negatively, anyway, badly, to the promises that we have gotten from God. And we want somebody else's promise. We lose our appreciation for what God has given to us, and we desire something other that what God has designated for us. God, knowing these natural propensities, seeks to safeguard us in his promises. So he does this through the constancy of his word. This is why we need to read our Bibles, why we need personal devotions, why we need to constantly be in the word. And the Bible tells us, again, Joshua 1, 8, to meditate in God's word. Psalm 1, to meditate in God's word day and night. And this is how we continue to make our way prosperous. This is how we become that tree that is planted near the waters of living water. It is the constant standard in our lives. We've got the Bible. It is always accessible. It is always available. And it is there to constantly and consistently direct our ways and to remind us of who God is, of his goodness, his greatness, his way and his will for us. But secondly, God has given us the church. And we're told in Acts 20 verse 28 that the church is God's idea. He purchased the church. He established the church with his own blood. And it's God's safeguard to safeguard our faith, to safeguard our dependency on him, to equip us for all we need in life, to give us a ministry, to fortify our faith, to give us fellowship, 
And I, I liken this to the cities of refuge that we'll be studying about because the church is to be a refuge that we can run to and get that prayer and that counsel and that fellowship and that re-equipping that we need and that safety. Thirdly, God has given us spiritual leaders. Hebrews 12, 1 talks about we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so God has blessed us with spiritual leadership. I find a lot of spiritual leadership in Christian books by Christian authors, even biographies of Christians, and by pastors and teachers that God has given us to help us equip and fortify us in the faith. These are those who minister the word of God and live it out before us. God does not simply give us his promises and then leave us to ourselves. He desires that we continue to live in these promises, that we might receive his blessing, be an example of his blessing to others, and pass on the heritage of his blessings to our children and the next generation. God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. I love this promise from Hebrews chapter 13. There used to be a bumper sticker in the 1970s that said, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? In other words, God did not move away from you, but we have this propensity for independence from God. God has done everything in his power to place you in his promises, to keep you in a place of blessing, and to provide safeguards to your faith that you might continue to be blessed by God. God is absolutely faithful. Listen again to these scriptures you studied from Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. These truths, these truths of God fulfilling every promise and all his word is portrayed before us in Joshua 18.11 to Joshua chapter 21. What we see first is that the remaining seven tribes all received their allotment. The tribe of Benjamin, we see that his portion falls in Judah's allotment, because Judah's area is too big for the whole for the tribe of Judah to completely settle. And this is something I love about the tribe of Judah. They are so willing to share. They're like, hey, it's so big for us. We just kept getting land and we have so much. Why don't you come and take some of this? They are enthusiastic about the promises of God. They're enthusiastic about what God has given and what they have claimed. And they are so willing to share it with others. For Judah, it is all about building the kingdom of Israel and not the tribe of Judah itself. They are zealous that all the tribes come into their inheritance. 
Next, we have the tribe of Simeon, which also receives an allotment in the area that Judah has settled. Next comes Zebulun, and they go north of the other tribes to the northernmost area, just west of the half-tribe of Manasseh's allotment. This is one of the rich agricultural areas of Israel today, and it is not too far from the sea, interestingly enough, as was prophesied by Jacob over Zebulun in Genesis 49, verse 13. Next comes Issachar, and he settles near Zebulun, just north of Manasseh and south of Galilee. It is a plain of rich soil and edges on the Jordan River. Then Asher, which is the coastal region, what is now Lebanon, has beautiful vistas and great for seafaring. Next comes Naphtali, and Naphtali settles along the western bank of the Galilee, all the way up to the headwaters of the Jordan, where there are abundant water supplies. Today, in this area, there are orchards of bananas and mangoes and avocado, and also many wild deer. Next comes Dan. Now, it's interesting when you look at Dan's allotment with the prophecy given in Genesis 49, 16 through 17. It says that Dan will judge his people, but like a serpent that bites the horse's heel and causes the rider to fall backward. Dan's original allotment was near the sea, what is modern day Joppa, and it was part of Judah's greater allotment. But he didn't like his allotment. He didn't like, he was bordered originally by Manasseh and Ephraim, Benjamin and Judah, which would have been a safeguard to the faith of Dan, staying strong with God, you know, if he was surrounded by his brethren. But we read in Judges 18 that Dan did not like their allotment. And so they sent a company of men searching out a different allotment and they went north. They followed the Galilee and went north of Galilee, even north of the other tribes and settled in the area, which is now called Tel Dan or the area of Bashan. And this is the area that they went to. They didn't go to Joshua or Eliezer or Shiloh and say, you know, we really don't like this allotment. Could you cast the lots again and see if there's a different area that we could come? No, they went rogue on their own as if to say, God, you're not going to give us what we want. So we're going to have to get it for ourselves. And it's a very sorry sordid story that you read in Judges 18. They even chose their own priest and their own gods, which were idols, uh, to give them a different territory because they did not like the territory that God gave them. And according to Judges 18.1, they never, ever settled the allotment that God gave them. Later, during the time of Jeroboam or Israel's rebellion against the house of David. It is Dan and this area of Dan where the idol, the calf idol is set up and it becomes a center of idolatry and brings a stumbling block to all of Israel. Later during the time of Christ, it is called Caesarea Philippi. It was the area where Dan settled in. And Caesarea 
Philippi was known as an idolatry center and had um, temples to all sorts of false gods. So we read, this is what Dan did. After Dan, the final tribe to take their allotment, an allotment that they didn't like, Joshua then takes his inheritance in the tribal allotment of Ephraim. Joshua chapter 17, verses 15 and 17 through 18. And he builds a city in the mountains, Timnath Sarah, um, which means extra portion. He sets an example for his tribe because he had told them that they were to go up to the forest and clear a place. And I love this. At 80 something, Joshua shows his tribe, the tribe of Ephraim, how this is done. And again, as he had instructed them in Joshua 17 verses 15 and 17 and 18 to go up and clear away in the forest and go to the mountains, this is exactly what Joshua does. Next, we find in chapter 19, verse 51 of Joshua, that the tabernacle of God is set up of Shiloh. This is going to become a constant for all the tribes of Israel. They are able to go to Shiloh. It is accessible to all the tribes. It is easily reached. It's available. Anyone can come to Shiloh at any time. Not only that, but every Levite will be required to spend a portion of their year serving at the tabernacle in Shiloh. And what will that do? Well, it's like going to school, taking refreshment classes. And it's an opportunity for every Levite to be fresh in the ways of the Lord and in the word of the Lord and in the will of the Lord. The tabernacle holds the Ark of the Lord, which is the emblem of God's covenant with Israel. And at the tabernacle, there is a copy of God's law so that anyone in Israel can go to the tabernacle and be refreshed in the law of God. You know, they don't have to say, well, what does God want? They can go to the tabernacle. They can speak to a priest and they can look at the law of God. The tabernacle is the place where daily sacrifices are made for Israel's welfare. There will be peace offerings, burnt sacrifices, sin offering, trespass offerings, grain offering. It's the place where intercession is made for every tribe in Israel. In fact, the high priest ephod has a stone representing every tribe. Every tribe is remembered daily before the altar of God, prayed for, interceded for. It is the place where all the men of Israel are required to come three times a year for feasts, for the feast of Passover, for the feast of first fruits, or what is known as Pentecost, and for the feast of tabernacles. And these feasts are meant to continue Continue to unify Israel that they might all be for the Lord God, to remind Israel of their shared history, that they worship the same God and foreshadow and prepare them for their coming of their Messiah. So God, we see, has already given them these safeguards, the safeguard of the 
tabernacle, the safeguard now comes of the city of refuge, Joshua chapter 20. Here is another safeguard. These cities of mercy, these places of safety for those who have killed someone unintentionally or accidentally. These cities, these Levitical cities that are throughout Israel, three on the west of Jordan, three on the east of Jordan, provide safety for the slayer, the person who accidentally killed someone from what was called the avenger of blood, that family member that sought to avenge the death of their father or their mother or their brother or their sister or their cousin. There were certain provisions in order to come into these city cities. The killing must have been accidental or unintentional. No previous enmity, no motive for murder. You would go if you were somebody who accidentally killed someone. You would go to the city gate. The Levites would come out. They would hear your case, these elders of the city, and then they would decide on whether or not you qualified for the safety that the city of refuge offered. One of the spiritual safeguards the Lord has given us is His Word. Psalm 1 tells us to meditate in His Word day and night. And this is how we make our way prosperous and become that tree that is planted near the living water. The Bible is always accessible and available. It is there to remind us of God's greatness and goodness and to constantly and consistently direct our ways in God's will for us so we can inherit all the promises. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll continue to look at spiritual safeguards as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.